Rosemary Anderson High School has experienced a tidal wave of trauma in the past two and a half years. Five students have died in shootings, another was stabbed to death, and two more kids died in car crashes. My colleagues embedded in that alternative school for much of this year. The result of those months of reporting is a series called The Safest Place. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Noel Crombie, Beth Nakamura, and Samantha Swindler. We talked about their project, what they learned inside and outside the walls of Rosemary Anderson, how the kids and staff are coping with the trauma, and the success stories of students who have experienced a lifetime of challenges, many not of their own making. Here's our conversation. Noel, Beth, and Sam, thanks for coming on the show, and thank you and your team for your superb reporting. Thanks for having us. Noel, can you take us back to the beginning? When did you first start spending time at Rosemary Anderson, and how did you end up there in the first place? Beth and I began reporting at Rosemary Anderson in February of this year. Um, and I, I had for many months wanted to, um, wanted to report on the effect of gun violence on, on the school community, um, and how, uh, people who are on the front lines of, of disrupting gun violence, um, what that work looked like and who they were. And Rosemary Anderson, we knew from our gun, uh, extensive gun violence coverage over the past two years, that the name of the school just came up a lot in the um, reporting on victims. And I we sought permission from um, the organization that runs Rosemary Anderson, and they eventually agreed to give us what turned out to be unrestricted access to the school um, beginning in February. And really right right up through right now. Yeah, and Beth, you know, unrestricted access to a school, what's as a photojournalist, I guess, what how are you approaching that when you're in a school, you know, days on end? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I um, you know, it sounds like, oh great, you know, you just go in and, you know, just like shoot away, you know, um, but um Actually, I think I spent more time there uh, not taking pictures than taking pictures. I think a lot of what um, I did or we did over the course of several months was just, you know, establish trust and connection. Because even if the school has granted permission and access, that doesn't mean, you know, every teenager in the building has. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just... It's a lot of just kind of hanging around and um, you know becoming from a familiar presence and um, and and over time you know getting some work done. But I would say I probably like if you saw us working in there, like I probably didn't really look like I was doing a whole lot. You know, like I would you know make pictures here and there. But yeah, and um, Noel, maybe can can you describe what the school environment? you know, what it looks like and where, where is Rosemary Anderson for people who, who don't know? Sure. Um, Rosemary Anderson is a small alternative school. It's located um, in the community of Rockwood, which is a section or an area of Gresham. Uh, and it serves students who are referred to it by a handful of school districts in East Multnomah County that, that sort of um, are 
along or outside just beyond the Portland border. So we're talking about places like Gresham and uh, David Douglas, Park Rose, Centennial, Reynolds. Mm-hmm. And the the building itself is it's pretty unremarkable. Uh, it's on a very busy thoroughfare set far back from the road. It does not look like a school. Um, looks like a like an office building you would see in a commercial plaza. Um, thousands of people pass by every day, probably not even having any idea that it's a an alternative school. Um, and inside it's, um, you know, uh, classrooms that are sort of strung along uh, a long corridor. And, um, you know, there are some very subtle things that signal um, a, attention to security. You know, uh, the students enter through a separate door and they undergo you know, a casual security screening by a, a really friendly um, staff. You know, and students find themselves here for a variety of reasons. Big schools don't work for them. Uh, some of them are entangled in the criminal justice system. Um, some have some gang associations. Um, and this is a place where, you know, they're getting very individual attention. Sam, how did you get involved in this project? And can you kind of describe what you were hoping to accomplish? I came into this project um, late and basically just worked on the video part of it. We wanted to create a story booth video room where students and teachers could come in and just share their stories, um, sort of like a little confessional booth almost. And we wanted to be able to give them that opportunity to just speak pretty much unfiltered and get sort of that real raw emotional stuff in video. Yeah. And um, I'm going to play an example of that in a second here. Um, But can you describe like, there's a book in there, right? For the students that they kind of poured through that people might hear in the audio. What what was in the book uh, in the story booth? Yeah, Noelle put together a book of prompts, and it was just kind of open-ended questions that they could answer, and you could kind of flip through it and pick the ones you wanted to talk about and skip the ones you didn't. And it was questions about how have you been impacted by gun violence? Tell us about your school. Tell us about your life. What are the struggles that you're going on? What are your hopes, your dreams? Um, Really all kinds of questions. And it was interesting to see which ones students gravitated towards and mm. um and how seriously i think that they took it it was really powerful it's extremely powerful and let's listen to some of the audio from one of those videos right now a lot more people i've met in rosemary have died than in reynolds i've had a lot of friends here and i probably count almost each one of my fingers of a person that's passed away i lost my best friend and uh he was a good person one of the most you know like unique people that I've ever came across. Just standing out by my window at night, you know, I hear gunshots. I know people who have been hurt by guns, died by guns. I lost, I'd say about three friends to gun violence and um, the one that affected me most, sorry, um, the one that affected me most was um, my friend Alex. My brothers Isaiah, Zayn Marza. He, he was just walking to the store to get a bag of chips with his, his girlfriend. It was like 5, 5.30. And 
it was someone we knew too, because we all used to hang out together. What is it like being a teenager living in Portland, Oregon? Scary. I mean, I could get shot walking down the street, either just for being black or talking to the wrong people. Us kids are getting shot for no reason. It's dangerous. Kids want to be something that they don't even know about. It's sad that people don't understand the real power behind them, the real, um, like, the real, like, the real way it can affect people. And it just hurts me to, like, think about how people like my age or people in just general aren't really caring about other people's lives. To be honest, I used to be in a gang and like every time something happened like around us, like I got shot at before and everything. I went from seeing my friend, my best friend, that was like my brother. I went from seeing him every day, being with him every day, that now I just can't even can't even call him, nothing. All I got now is, I got memories left and it just, I wish he was still here. For it to have been someone he knew hit me even harder because I knew that person. I think for the rest of my life, I will carry the guilt that I didn't say anything about the feeling I had about that person. And I hope that someday when me and Alex meet again, that he knows that I tried. Miss you smile, bro. Miss you laugh. I miss waking up with you, bro, playing games, bullshitting, you know. Going out to water the plants, the garden, the girls, as we say. Yes, sir. One thing I want people to know about my big brother is he's very loving, kind, caring. He'll be there for you if you need him. I'll tell you right from wrong if if you need to be advised on something or, or situation. Okay, so it's extremely challenging to watch these kids. Um, and I'm just wondering how you react to seeing that. I mean, you develop relationships with these these teenagers. I mean, what's it like to, to see that and hear what they have to say? <laughs> it's brutal. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. We set up this booth and we set up the camera and set up the ring light. And then you kind of step out and you leave them alone in the room. So and we've never done anything like this before and we really didn't know what we were going to get. So it was kind of a mystery. We took the camera home and I, you know, downloaded the footage and I had no idea what was going to be on there. But you could tell when some of the kids came out of the booth, they were emotional and they'd been crying. And so, uh, but to watch all of it and it was four and a half hours of video footage that we got from this. And it was 
uh, pretty sad and emotional. I get really choked up when I see like, particularly like the teenage boys talking about this and like just being really vulnerable and sad, which I guess is maybe like a demographic that you don't think about as being really emotional and open like that. Mm -hmm. That kid at the end, Austin talking about his brother is just so sad. Austin talking earlier in the video, and this is a detail in one of the pieces, you know, about watering the tomato plants, the girls, right? Noel? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the, there's, um, a breadth of trauma and loss that the students at Rosemary Anderson have experienced. That's so extraordinary. They're carrying burdens that would, you know, level any, any of us and yet they're going to school and they're dealing with lots of challenges outside of school. And I knew as a reporter that I would not be able to really capture all of that uh, experience that I would most likely end up following just one or two students. Um, and how would we possibly convey all of these other kids' lives. And that's where this idea came into play. And it, I think, is really, um, what, what I think is so powerful um, is we're elevating the voices here of just letting the public see, uh, Rob, um, what this loss looks like for, for young people and how they shoulder that loss. And you know, like Beth and Sam said, a lot of these um, kids came out of this booth really shaken up. And, you know, it, um, it took a little while for this thing to, to, for the kids to warm up to this idea. And, um, and so we weren't really sure what we were going to get out of these videos. And, um, but, but, but as we saw kids emerging, um, you know, looking like they had, you know, cried um or that this was really heavy for them it, it um just it was just turned out to be really powerful as i remember too i think that once once a few kids once we got a few kids in there and they started to do it then word spread pretty quickly through the school that this was yep. like cool and people should do it or um i think also it you know there's there were some you know well designed and very open ended questions that ran you know across the gamut of life's experiences um but i think being in there alone uh i think it gave them agency over their own stories too in a way that having journalists in the room um quells or or yeah. tamps down on a little bit somehow or you have to just Build, you have to invest a lot to get to a point, you know, and here you just kind of strip all that away and it's just them in a dark little space uh, talking to themselves really, you know? So I think it's very powerful. There's so much in this project that um, hopefully by the time people listen to this, they will be diving into uh, the different chapters as it rolls out. But, um, you know, this newsroom has spent a lot of time over the last two years, chronicling the gun violence surge across the Portland area. But um, as you kind of um, set from the jump, it's not just Portland, right? It's it's Rockwood and these areas in between. Noel, can you describe just the scale of the gun violence that Gresham has seen and and the, the loss that these kids have experienced directly um, over the past couple of years at Rosemary Anderson? 
Yeah, I mean, Gresham has experienced un- an unprecedented number of shootings over the past three years. The number has uh, skyrocketed. And the students that we met have experienced the loss. Uh, it's it's actually really shocking. Um, you know, for classmates, um, friends outside of school, cousins. Um, it, it was, you know, and at first when you go in there, you know, one of the first things I noticed um, early on was there was a young woman sleeping in, in the hallway and like kind of off to the side. And, and I asked about that. And um, the teachers uh, told me that um, the student had lost a parent and and they were facing some, you know, challenge. Chal- additionally challenging, difficult situation at home, and that the student wasn't ready to learn, you know, came to school because it was safe and stable, but not not ready to learn. And they, you know, they're not going to impose learning on a young person who's just, you know, caring a lot. And I saw that multiple times um, through through the course of the year, a young man we followed, um, experienced the sudden loss of a beloved pet and he came into school the next day and just crashed on a couch. And when I later asked the teacher about it, he said, I'm, you know, he needs, what he needs now is to just grieve. And so I'm just letting him do that. It doesn't make sense to cram information into him. And so it really did feel like a different place in that regard. Just the kind of heavy, there's a heaviness. I want to say though, I mean, there's tons of laughter. I mean, they're kids, so they're super charming. I saw tons of warmth, um, lots of friendship, um, jokes. Um, this isn't like you walk in and it's like somber. It's it's actually pretty lively. The hallway is, you know, this little social hub where kids hang out and um, they get, you know, they love their teachers. That's really clear. Um, there's like real camaraderie there. It's a really small school, and so I, I want to be careful and not convey that this is you know, like you know just a real downbeat place because it's not. It's a it's a school, uh, and the young people there are facing just kind of additional challenges. Yeah, can you describe a little more about the staff? And you know, it's so um, you know a couple of people on this call are are uh, married to educators, and so we know. That you know, being um, a teacher is is a lot, and um, your emotional and professional um, duties to your students are are a lot. So, how do you, how did the uh, the staff at Rosemary Anderson how do they navigate all this while trying to um, you know keep s- students um, engaged in learning and helping them on the course to graduation? Like what tricks do they have? Like you outlined some of this in the, in the series, like the ways they, they motivate and encourage, but like, can you describe kind of what you saw uh, firsthand? Yeah. Beth, do you want to jump in on that? Cause you were there as much as I was. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, what I was thinking as you were talking earlier about the school atmosphere, um, you know, and, and not, painting it as an entirely funereal, uh, you know, place, uh, not at all. I think, you know, one, one thing I came away with that, that seemed clear was how, how primary uh, relationships are in that building. So that con- connecting with the kids and 
establishing trust and connection and um that that's that is more important that's the most important thing in a way so so i i just saw a lot of that attention to trust building and relationship building um kind of in every corner of the school and to add to that you know we're talking about students whose experiences with school and history with school is generally poor and some of them have been expelled from school um, others, um, you know, one, one young man I spoke with said, you know, he just, you know, his school experience, you just linked it to f- sense of failure. And, um, hmm. so you're, you know, students walk into this building with a lot of baggage around the idea of school and, and teachers. And, um, what I saw was just like a lot of, um, efforts to reach out to students individually and to make connections and to let students know, you know, if they weren't there on a given day, you know, they were, they, that's noticed, um, you know, efforts to track that student down. Um, and then if the student showed up again, 10 days later, um, a kind of, you know, unconditional acceptance almost of, of that, uh, you know, um, just kind of a lot of meeting kids where, where they are, um, and not, um, not adding to the trauma that they already associate with the school experience. I'm curious how this reporting has changed, if at all, how you view the metro area. You know, there's a lot of schools, um, in East County and elsewhere that have students who are going through a lot. I know. I was just thinking that, you know, it's not just these kids, it's all kids really in the past couple of years have been particularly brutal on kids. Uh, so I'm sure there's a lot of this mental health stuff uh, manifesting everywhere uh, in schools, you know, everything washes up at school. So, uh, I mean, uh, for me, I don't know if it changes how I view it. I think we're kind of connecting some dots here, hopefully, with sections of Portland, you know, certain sections of the region with other parts of the region and, you know, introducing them to each other and making real, uh, you know, the, the data and the headlines and everything else. I mean, I think it, for me, it was little, you know, like I'm a mother and I'm, I'm a mother of, you know, boys slash young men. So this, it was uh, challenging in the sense that my mother instinct was constantly being triggered, you know, and it's like the journalist part and the mother part were not at odds because I mean, it's good, right? You know, like, uh, but, but it was, you know, it was a lot. Kind of same question to you, Sam. Has this illuminated anything for you? Like, or is it just kind of about this specific story, I guess? Because it's not often that you get to see this much. um, You know, we strive for stuff like this, this unvarnished um, reality, and you captured it. I think we should think more about what is journalism and how we go about telling stories in ways that we haven't told before. If we're examining the stories that we have told in the past and the stories that we haven't told in the past and the stories that aren't often told, we should think about why they haven't been told. And are there different ways that we can provide an avenue for those stories to be shared and for people to, t- to tell their own stories? And I think like Beth was saying, you know, have agency in that. Um, I thought that was 
really exciting. And I hope that we can do more things like that and think a little bit outside the box. And I usually just do features. So this was really exciting to be part of like the dream team of, you know, the investigative work that the Orconian does and to have a small piece in that was really great. It was cool to see uh, Beth and Noel at work. Noel, do you have any takeaways in terms of this place you've lived for so long and now you've in- invested, you know, the better part of a year of, of your reporting life inside the walls of this school and outside, I guess, as well. But um, has that changed or illuminated anything for you about, I guess, journalism, like, like Sam said, or, or this place we call home? You know, I, I think it just reinforced a couple of things. One, it's a real privilege. Anytime you can um, gain access and be able to tell uh, these kinds of stories, um, and especially to be in a school setting in these really very, very intimate, granular details of a school life, and the and the people who inhabit that uh, world. It's uh, it's it's kind of a dream. Um, it's you're living a dream when you get to that kind of trust and access and. Um, and then I really enjoyed um, getting to spend so much time in Rockwood, and um, you know that's where um, one of our subjects, uh, Duke, lives, um, and it's tragically also where Dante McFollow was um, shot to death. And these, this is a neighborhood, this is an area where, you know, all these, these students, they, you know, that they live, this is their home. And I really appreciated the chance to spend so much time there. Um, just getting all this time to, to get to know a part of the county. We don't really cover as closely as we may have at one point. And, um, so I don't know that I have any big takeaways other than for me, it was just extremely, um, just a big honor. How are you going to keep in touch with people out there? Because I can't imagine that you just drop a package like this and that's that's that. Yeah. I You know, I was thinking this morning uh, that um, when, when Duke Mitchell graduates and I I know he will. Um, I, I want to go to that. You know, it's like, I think Beth and I and Sam will probably go to graduation next spring. You know, I mean, I don't know. We're just going to, it's a place that we now kind of have, a, we're, we're, we have some ties to. And I mean, they were really patient. It's a real pain to have journalists crawling all over you every day and in and out of school and asking for access. But I think also, you know, I, I, I hope that at the end through the work that the Oregonian has, has done that I, I hope that um, the Rosemary Anderson um, students and the teachers there feel like the, that the community sees them. Yeah, I remember in the very beginning of the, you know, when we were trying to get access to the story and we had all these meetings and eventually there was this like Zoom meeting with like 15 faces on the screen and all from various aspects of Rosemary Anderson and POIC. And I I always remember Joe uh, McFerrin saying at one point, you know, this is all well and good, but I can't do this alone. I can't, I can't, we can't make this happen in a vacuum this, the kind of transformations, the kind of stuff we're looking to get 
through this program, these programs can't do it alone. I never forgot that because I, 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 I think you know that we potentially provide connection between them and what they're doing and other parts of uh, the city, the state, uh, policymakers, community members, and everyone else. You know, to connect us all. We're all connected. You know, we're all very much alike. Uh, you know, underneath our differences. And so I kind of hope that I feel very protective of them. Uh, that's probably never going to go away. I want to extend that protection in the community when they, you know, whoever interacts with this, these stories to um, remember that they're, they're kids, they're children. Um, and uh, we're all in this together. And there's vulnerability here and to please handle with care. Yeah, that was kind of one of my closing questions is what do you hope people take away from this package? I hope that the students whose lives we, um, you know, stories we, we told, um, I, you know, I, I hope that they feel um, seen and and heard and kind of like and witnessed and I and I hope that people can appreciate you know th these are young people who are dealing with challenges but they're they're also just like these these two kids that we spent the most time with this year they're also really fantastic and uh, I I hope that that people that comes through and and that they are persevering despite some pretty significant challenges, many of which were not of their own making. And, um, and also I, I hope, you know, I was really, I was really moved by the kind of care that the teachers at this school provide students. I mean, it's, it's really above and beyond and, and it's consistent. It wasn't just, oh, the Oregonian is here better. No, it was like, we were there so much. It really got a genuine sense of the kind of skill and commitment of the teachers there. And it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty above and beyond. And so I, I hope that uh, and, and, and it's work that, you know, like no one sees that. No one is seeing teachers making, doing all this extra stuff. And it was just really impressive. Can you give some examples? Because I know there's some in your reporting. Yeah, our very first interaction uh, with a teacher, I was looking for opportunities to spend some time with her. And her, the next thing she was doing was going to a funeral of the young man who died on, on uh, January 1st. And, um, you know, she lives far away and she was going to be coming back into Gresham for his memorial on a Saturday. And, and that just really, that really stayed with me throughout the whole, um, and then, and then she, and then she eulogized him as well. Um, and, um, in a really lovely tribute and, and, and I just saw that kind of, um, just extra care, um, throughout the year. And, you know, teachers bringing in, you know, this English teacher bringing in books for students um, because, you know, he'd heard that they were interested in one particular thing. And so he'd ask friends to chip in and maybe make an Amazon order or buy something at a, at a Goodwill. And, um, you know, I just felt like there was this kind of extra layer of, um, of attention. 
That's really true because usually you go, you know, you're at, you do a story, kind of your, your typical story, you maybe go once, twice, maybe a few times, you get a few passes at a, at a, at a scene or a situation and, and then you walk away. Um, but, and everyone's kind of got their Sunday best on, if you know what I mean. But uh, uh, when, when you're there month after month, you know, you really like all that veneer gets stripped away and you kind of just see the real stuff. And this was the real stuff. This was the real stuff. Yeah, I mean, we saw teachers having bad days, kids having bad days. Um, you know, again, it's uh, I, I I'm not painting this as a uh, you know a movie set school. There's has there's hardships and students have profound challenges that they bring into the school. Um, but uh, yeah, you're there long enough that there's some true things that emerge, and one of the truest was just. Uh, the, you know, attention being paid. Well, is there anything else I should have asked you that you would want to add? I think Beth should talk a little bit about this beautiful still life picture that she put together uh, for this. <laughs> I don't think that's up yet in the, in the design. Did, did did you see it, Andrew? No, I don't think so. It was like a it was like a it was a still life of uh like a little painterly little scene with a bunch of objects in it. So that'll run on day one. So that'll be, I guess it'll be out by the time this runs. So, um, yeah, I, I, I wish I could say how that came about. Uh, I can't, I don't remember, you know, ideas just kind of happen. Um, and I knew I wanted to make a, you know, a, a, I knew that all we had of Dante were his relationships and his things and of his things, there really wasn't actually much. And so I knew I wanted to make some kind of photograph. You know, the challenge with what we're doing, especially when, when people aren't here anymore, is to try to animate, animate them, to bring them to life, to, to make them, you know, meaningful uh, and to build connection between them and, and uh, readers. So, you know, this is kind of a typical thing that we do. So, um, so anyway, I, I worked with his family and <clears throat> received several of his things uh little by little took a while to get them just because you know you're kind of wading through grief really you know and having to go through things or find things and you know so eventually i got most things and then at a later stage actually i received dante's ashes so um i wanted to just make an image that um honored him you know and and made him beautiful and so that's that's all that's all i tried to do was was make him beautiful his death was ugly he was alone um and it was not covered by anyone it wasn't covered by the oregonian and so i wanted to uh, dignify his life well the package is um tremendous and um it's uh I hope people spend a lot of time with it and think about what people carry when you are passing them out in the world. You never know what people are carrying with them. So thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to the first chapters of The Safest Place in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. And tell a friend help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and projects like this one is with a subscription to Oregon Live. 
You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.